Hello, Sarah. I've changed my whole setup around because um, here's a funny thing that happens to me every time I'm on deadline with a book. <laughs> um, I break my laptop. Oh, sure. And the keys pop off of it. Oh, yeah. Usually it, it's either the T or the H. Hmm. And it just pops right off the laptop. We've just got to fix those keyboards. WGA needs to step in and actually do something. <laughs> and then I can't use it anymore. So um, I basically for the last like two weeks have not opened my laptop. I've been like set. It's been set up like as a essentially like as like a computer with an external monitor and an external keyboard. So this morning I had to, you know, make it happen. Open my laptop (laughs) to see your face. (laughs) I have um, needed the R, the T and the I replaced. Oh, the R and the I. That's interesting. Are you, I'm now I'm like testing. They're all on the top row, which I think is weird. Yeah, and the eye, you shouldn't be hitting the eye with your index finger, so I don't know, I don't know what it is. I think I'm Maybe a hard right typer. In, I'm like, you're an angry typer. It's ironic since I don't really love first person. I mean, you're an angry. I'm an angry person. <laughs> like, I, 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 I. <laughs> so yeah, I've lost the T, I've lost the H. And lost my head there. And it always happens right at the end of a book, and it's very frustrating because I don't have the time to go to the Apple store and fix it. So, you know, but it's solved. The book is done. (laughs) Huzzah. The book is done. If you could see Sarah's face right now, it's like. Don't I look so relaxed? Oh my God. So chill. Yeah. Delighted. Absolutely. It's amazing. Let's, let's talk about romance novels. I was like, yes, now there's no impediment to us talking about romance novels. And then last night I climbed into bed with Waking Up with the Duke, one of my very, very favorite romance novels ever of all time. And I was like. Back on my Back on my bullshit. <laughs> That's my favorite bullshit. I'm always on my bullshit. So I just get cat texts from Kate all the time. She's like, why are you doing that on Twitter again? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't stop myself. <laughs> yeah, you really you really are. Like, you need like a, a some sort of you need a an assistant who will just hold your phone for you and press send only at certain times on Twitter. Anyway, everyone. Welcome to Faded Mates. Welcome to Faded Mates. Sarah's done with her book. Jen's on her bullshit. Here we are. <laughs> it's a good day. <laughs> it's a morning. We don't usually record in the mornings. It's a, it's 9.30 on a Saturday. It's very nice here. It's very sunny. I see the sun on your face. The sun is on my face. We are literally waking up with the Duke, Sarah. Mm-hmm. We're reading... Uh, I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels, and I read romance novels. I'm Jen Read Romance. I, uh, I don't know. I talk shit on Twitter. I write for Kirkus. My editor... Too much shit, man. I know. My editor is like, we're all like, ugh, Jen. Tom Beer is like, why don't you just turn these into columns, Jennifer? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Sure. Good idea, Tom. <laughs> Tom, because a column makes it, like, stressful. Yeah. I have one due Monday, and I'm like, oh, God. Okay. What's it on? Can you tell everybody? Or is it a secret? Joe? No, it's not. I'm going to write about Joanna Lindsay's obituary, I think, in the New York Times. Oh, and how nice. how we, well, how romance yeah. deserves better. Especially on Valentine's Day. Yeah, so. It's February, you guys. It's like a special, it's a special couple, special couple weeks. Yeah. 
for romance novelists and romance readers leading into February. But it's actually really interesting. I haven't seen any good hot takes. You just were bad hot takes. Yeah. I'm doing an interview at 2 o'clock this afternoon with the Smith College Sophian, Ooh. which is the student newspaper at Smith College. That's so cool. At my alma mater. <laughs> and, um, uh, and the young woman who um, reached out to me uh, was like, you're my favorite romance novelist and I'm writing a, a Valentine's Day piece and please say you'll be interviewed for it. I Please, please say yes. Aww. And I was like, of course. I will. I will break my embargo on Valentine's Day pieces by media for you. For you. Yeah, that's Smith College, Sophia. Yeah, I wrote a piece for Kirkus this month about Galentine's Day. It's like Lilith Fair minus the angst. Plus frittatas. Because I was like, let's talk about mm-hmm. the awesome stuff romance does. So, yeah, that's where we are right Valentine's now. Valentine's Day is so great. It is. Thank you, Amy Poehler. Mm. It's wonderful, and it should be a national holiday. It should be a national holiday. Dear Congress, it's Leslie again. There we go. So, Sarah, tell us about why you love this book. Or when you read oh. it, tell us your story. Okay, so the pick this week is mine. It's Waking Up with the Duke by Lorraine Heath. And I have a lot of things to say. <laughs> I have a lot of things in my heart about this book. I have a lot. Like, oh, my God. Now, did you read it when it came out? Because it came out in 2011. I did read it when it came okay. out. So, okay, fun fact. I wrote my first book in 2009. I met Lorraine. I wrote, I wrote my first book in 2009. I sold... My first book was a YA. I sold my first romance novel, Nine Rules to Break When Romancing a Rake, two days before Thanksgiving in 2008. Okay. So my first RWA was RWA 2009, but I was already an Avon author. It's just that uh, Nine Rules had not come out yet. Got it. So Nine Rules came out in 2010. So, But I had sold the book, and I went to the 2009 RWA in... Uh, in uh, D.C., and I was invited to the Avon Books cocktail party because Avon Books, like all the publishers at that time, like had parties for their authors. So I was invited to the party because I was a new author, even though I hadn't I hadn't published a book with Avon yet. And I was terrified. Yeah. Like terrified because I wasn't an author yet. I hadn't had I had just had my way my YA out, but I didn't have a romance novel out yet. Um, and then on top of it all, like I was about to walk into a room filled with like your heroes, my heroes. And it was stressful. And it was in this like big hotel near the zoo in D.C. And I made I called my friend Corey, um, who worked for um, Senator Durbin at the time. And I was like, Corey, please come and like be my wingman Mm -hmm. and he was like all right cool i'll come out like sure i'll hang out with a bunch of ladies (laughs) for the night (laughs) sure (laughs) and and then i like told i mentioned to somebody at avon that i was bringing my friend Corey to this cocktail party because i didn't know the rules and they were like oh you can't like bring a guest to this and i was like oh shit like i'm literally alone yeah So I walked into this room, and it was very stressful, and Lorraine Heath was there. Mm. And she was, like, one of the first people I met, and she probably does not remember this, but she was, and she was standing there, and she, Lorraine, is one of the most lovely people ever. 
She's very soft-spoken and very sweet and very, like, when you're talking to her, you feel like you're the only person in the world. Like, she's paying, like, attention to you and you alone. And I was a huge—I have been a Lorraine Heath fan for a million years. And I said to her, like, oh, my God, your scoundrels of St. James are— like, they are magnificent. All I want to do is lie in my bed and reread them all. <laughs> and I said the thing that now I know authors don't love, <laughs> which is, I said, when does the doctor get his book? Yeah. <laughs> and the answer always, you guys, always, it's never. <laughs> when does Benedict get his book, you yeah, all? When does never. Benedict get his book? Never. <laughs> I mean, like, never say never, I guess. Like, Sarah, say never. Maybe it's someday. Fine. But, like, it's <laughs> very probably never. Yeah. Right. And she was, but she did the thing that we all do. She was so gracious. And she was like, well, you never know. <laughs> and I was like, I know now. Now I know, Lorraine. Um, but all of that is to say, like, that is my Lorraine Heath story. But so I have been a Lorraine Heath fan for a long, long time. And I actually believe that, like, People are sleeping on Lorraine. Yeah. Like, you don't hear a lot about Lorraine in the world. People don't talk about her near as much as they should. She is a great writer. Sarah, I'm going to admit something to you, which is I think this might have been my first Lorraine Heath. (gasps) And now I'm like, uh, can I... Yeah. Quit my job and sleeping. Yeah. Who knew? You've been sleeping on her. I didn't know. You didn't know. You didn't know. And the reality is, like, this bitch can write a book. Also, I show show title. Yeah, no, there you go. Bam. Um, she's gonna be like, listen, I'm a nice lady. Um, yeah. I also was looking because I'm about to be in the car today for five hours, and some of her audiobooks I think are narrated by Kate Redding, and Kate oh, Redding is the great. one who did Lord of Scoundrels. So I think I'm just gonna have she's to like great. shop that and pick one of those. And Baby Reads Romance is gonna have to listen to. Well, no, Baby Reads Romance is already there. Little Romance. Is oh, already okay. in St. Louis for the volleyball tournament. I set him a dad <laughs> with other families. I was like, I have things to do, like sleep in my own bed, <laughs> like record, a and record a podcast. I'll meet you there. <laughs> um, so the so this is all a very long way of saying that when I, that I read Waking Up with the Duke probably like the day it came yeah. out. Like, let's be honest. And I, it is my favorite Lorraine book, largely I think because as a writer, yeah. It is really like I this is taking the finger on like immense levels. Like a lot. she is breaking a lot of romance rules here. Yeah. Like the whole book is predicated. Like if whenever I describe it to somebody, whenever anybody's like, tell me your five favorite romance novelists, this is one of them. Yeah. Five favorite romance novels, this is one of them. And when I describe it, I say, Well, <laughs> the hero is responsible for the heroine's husband's uh, loss of his legs and also other things below the waist. And um, it begins with the heroine's husband asking the hero to give the heroine a child. Yeah. And it's a happily ever after. And they're like, what? We should (laughs) say right now that there's like a, I don't usually like spoiler alert books because I'm like, whatever, you know, it's going to turn up. There are a lot of twists in this book, although I will tell Mm -hmm. you that Kate texted me last night. She's like, Jen, would I like Waking Up with the Duke? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's super fucking angsty. This is totally your jam. And I was like, however, I will admit to you that even I, Jennifer Prokop, a venerated romance reader, started this (laughs) book and was like, listen, 
this fucking husband has to die for this HEA to happen. And I had some feelings about that because I was at the beginning and I like I trust you entirely, but I was like the optics in 2020 of like essentially a disabled, a disabled man being Mm. like, like I was like, are we fridging him? Right. Like I was like, he's a disabled hero, like not hero, disabled husband. He has to die. For this HEA to happen, for this, for the wife and the the best friend. And it was really interesting to read it going in cold, like with that eye, because I was like, ha, how? <laughs> like, I literally yep. was like, how, how is this going to work? And it did for well, me. But I, I do want to say that. That was going to be my follow-up question. Yeah, this, I mean, it's interesting because I read it too, obviously I reread yeah. it. Um, and when we do the rereads for this podcast, we do it with like a very different eye. Absolutely. Right? Like, I've read this book, oh, easily 40 times, yeah. right? But like this time I read it as like, okay, what am I going to say about this book? And look, yeah, that is a, a certainly I thought about I thought about it too, just the sort of the way that she tackles the disability, yeah. um, which is an injury, a ter- it's a carriage. He was in a carriage accident. Um, I think she does a really good job of balancing the care of like making that character tremendously nuanced. Yes. Like at no point is Wal is Walford like just there flat like he's not a flat stanley right like he's he is tremendously nuanced and you don't really get that at the beginning this book was fascinating to me like honestly i really really loved it but it is it is when we talk about romance being about feelings Mm -hmm. this book really delivers and i include in that like a a lot of like a discomfort because the other thing that this book then has built into the system is cheating. It, however, now it was not a problem for me. <laughs> like I'm going to be honest with you, given the way this book is set up. I mean, no, but this is why like, so cheating, you and I have talked about this, like cheating as the third rail in romance mm-hmm. novels, like, and this idea that cheating like a lot for a lot of readers, this book ends before it begins. Yeah. But interestingly, I do think it was a fascinating choice to make it the heroine who is the cheater and not the hero. And cheater is cheater such, a, such like, a shitty word because it's, it's a not, weird word. She's not cheat. Well, at one point he says, "Do you are you regretting your sin?" And she says, "Is it a sin if I've been given permission?" Well, yes. And I think the question then really is about the way it plays out. It's not about Cheating's like the wrong word, right? But it's like about vows. What does it mean when you promise something? And even mm-hmm. if someone gives you permission to break that promise, mm-hmm. it, it is so like I I, I just want to say this is like layers upon layers upon layers of just really fascinating emotional work with people who are really like hurt and imperfect and just kind of want like to move forward into a future. And I did, I found Mm -hmm. it really, really moving, but I also feel like I would not blame anybody who was like, yeah, I just couldn't do it for whatever reason. Right. There's like so many ways. Yeah. This is the thing about, so we talk about 
we, you and I have been talking about this a lot in the last couple of weeks, sort of offline, yeah. off podcast, but this like conversation that is, that I think is, is being had, I think it's being had in a lot of different places in the romance world among readers and writers and critics. Mm-hmm. This like c- question of like, what are we doing when we're sort of expecting every book to work for every reader? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I really think like, for me, as I start, as I'm sort of, this season of the podcast is really giving me a, an opportunity to um, really crystallize for me what I want, what my my favorite romance novel is, writ large. So, and I think it often is a book that is not going to work for everyone. Yeah. And... And I mean, you know, we've talked about Priest, we've talked about this book, we've talked about, um, you know, we're, we will talk about McNaught, we will talk about, right. you know, Sandra Brown. And um, and I think these books are, when we say, like, oh, we want a book that hits, like, ever, as many readers as possible and works for as many readers as possible, like, obviously, yes, we want that in the sense that, like, we want to sell our books. But truthfully... If somebody were to say to me, like, I started Waking Up with the Duke and I put it down two pages in because I just couldn't deal with, like, you owe me a cock. Yeah. Right. right? Which is, like, one of my favorite lines ever in the history of romance. (laughs) Um, And I get it. But, like, that doesn't change the fact that this is a tremendously crafted. Oh, God. Oh, I've got to tell you, it's honestly magnificent. I think the thing I would also say is, like, and this is, again, like an offline conversation that's like kind of us worth, I think, maybe like elevating to this point, which is we talk a lot. I talk a lot. Right. You, we have like sort of two phrases we use over and over again on the podcast. Right. Like taking the finger and hunting for a big game. Yeah. And like those are the books that are like really out there pushing the boundaries of romance in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of ways to do those two things. And there are a lot of other books that I read, though, that this week I started to label a trip to the pet store, (laughs) right? Which is, (laughs) which is sometimes you just want to fucking cuddle something and it's like furry and, and sweet and is going to purr on your chest, right? And there's, and that's okay too. That is an amazing thing too. Like romance, I need all of those things from romance, but I don't know how to talk about books that are a trip to the pet store. Except to say, like, it was delightful. It was delightful. It's just what you need. It's a couple of hours. You're going to just feel better afterwards. Like, those are great books. but yeah. Those are safe books. Yeah. And we don't say that as, like, I think, interestingly, like, in this world now, especially in romance where we're talking about content so much. Yeah. And, like, we, and, like, also, how many times have you and I talked about on this very podcast, like, how romance helps us with trauma and, like, yes. work through, um, like, really complex, challenging, nuanced emotions. Like, Safe is not a bad word. No, it's what I, yes. I mean, and, and but it's doing something different, right? And yeah, it's just not what we are doing on this podcast. Sure, like, sure. We wouldn't be fun if we were, we, yeah. it wouldn't be fun to let, what, listen to if we were like, oh, and then they cuddled. It was, and then I sighed. Yeah. <laughs> and it was right? nice. Yeah. It was really nice. Yeah. And, and I don't yeah. want to say that that's why, like, because part of me is like looking back on the books we're talking about, they're, you know, even like managed is like a book that like breaks a lot of rules. I'm really interested in talking about the things that, Break all the rules mm-hmm. and somehow still work for me. Or yeah. break all the rules, although this is harder to talk about because it feels mean, a book that breaks all the rules and then doesn't work. 
like that's also an interesting thing to talk about, but maybe not publicly right. because then it just sounds like you're, you know, you're like leveling something. And it's a lot easier to talk about how something gets built when it stands exactly. up. Exactly. Well, and also, but I will say this for, you know, obviously we're not going to do this ever on a, on the podcast because it's not what it's for. But you and I certainly have privately talked about books that break all the rules and they don't work. And we never do it with like a, well, that person's canceled forever. No. It's more like, oh, I get what she's trying to do. It's just not working. Like, and that's a different, I mean, I, I do think that, I think that often in the world, like when we are public, our public persona on yeah. Twitter is like, everyone's canceled. Like, but that's actually not how readers, I think, ever are about books that are really like complicated and trying to hunt a big game. Yeah. And this, I think, is a tremendously complicated book. And the setup of it is really demanding because it's about guilt and vows. It's about yes. responsibility. It's about a woman, a woman who is desperate for a child, but you know, it's about a, a a broken man in the sense that her husband and both of them are really broken, both but in different, right? Well, that's also why it works because you couldn't have him be perfect and and like not, yeah. So wait, can we just? talk for a second. So I gave you the kind of like yes. very, very top line, but people have asked like... Do the plot summary, yeah. Tell, tell a little more about the plot. So I just want to be... Because I also think it's important. The setup for this book happens in the first like five pages of the book. And it's chapter one and it's a conversation. Um, and one of the things that I want to I want to like put a pin in for later in the podcast is I want to really talk about how Lorraine writes dialogue. Um, because I don't think I've ever fully noticed, mm. like, her structural style. Um, and it was really interesting to me. But so the beginning of this book begins, like I said, um, the Duke of Ainsley, who will be referred to as Ainsley from now on, mm-hmm. um, is talking to his, like, cousin and best friend. And it is revealed that there has been a terrible carriage accident when they were, there was a terrible carriage accident. Three years earlier. S- three years earlier. Um... While the two of them were, like, carousing in London, they got drunk. Ainsley was at the wheel, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> we the wheel of the reins. There was a carriage accident, and Walford... Walford? Walford? Walford. Walford? I don't know. I'm like, Walford? I'm like, whatever. Yeah, Walford. Walford. Yeah. Um, and Walford has... Um, like I said, he was in a, he has lost the use of his body below the waist. Um, and he basically says in this, we are dropped midway yes. into this conversation. Um, the first line of the book is, I'll consider your debt paid in full if you get my wife with child, which yeah. as far as first lines of romance novels go, I mean, it's all just right there. Yeah. The setup, the conflict, the whole nine. The readers instantly are like, um, how the fuck is this going to work sure. out? His name, that's really funny. He's called Ainsley throughout the book, but his real name is Ransom. And you and I say all the time, you say it, I just repeat it. Name is Destiny. And he yeah. is so essentially like held captive by this yeah. guilt that he feels about what he did, about um, his sense of responsibility towards his friend and mm-hmm. the, and all of the the accumulated debts of that friendship and it's just Mm -hmm. really interesting i thought how she like names him that just to like give us that hint but it like literally i don't think it's ever said again never see it never see it um so 
Ainsley's like, what? No? What? What? (laughs) No. What? No. And you get the sense immediately, like page two, you get the sense that Ainsley has a little bit of a thing for Jane Jane, the heroine. Um, But it's also sort of rolled into this first chapter that during this carousing, they were with uh, Walford's mistress, that that Jane was pregnant at the time. Um, and Walford wasn't like, was f- obviously like heirs are important, but like he was like kind of freaked out about having a child. Well, and also that he, although he liked Jane and it wasn't purely mercenary, he definitely like needed to refill the, the coffers. Yeah, right? he married for money. He, right. And she had it. Um, and then Ainsley says, okay, well, I guess yes. Like you'll, Yes. Um, but only, obviously, if Jane is willing. Also, important to note, Walford's, he's like, why not someone else? Yeah. Like, why me? Right. Oh. And Walford's like, well, two reasons. One, your family, right? So the blood will be the blood, like heirs. Sure. Heirs. Um, and two, um, I know you care about making women feel good. So, like, all, suddenly we're in this place where, like, instantly in that first chapter, like you said earlier, you weren't sure at the beginning he wasn't flat. Like, in that first chapter for me, there are all these little pieces of Walford that mm-hmm. seem, like, I want her to have pleasure. I also have this mistress that I love. I'm right. really pissed off. Like, I, I'm manipulating all of you to get a child. Like, th- there's a lot going on in his head that all seems to sort of put be put together really beautifully. Um, can I tell you... And you probably don't remember. Um, this is like spoiler alert. I don't know. Should we give a spoiler? Mm. I right in the very. Um, should we do this now? Okay, I'm going to do it, and then you decide if we should cut it. Like so, right in the beginning, there's this like real weird interaction right here in the first chapter where he asks um, Ainsley how his jewels are, lowercase J, mm. and it, I highlighted it. Because I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, right? It's kind of close to discussion of the mistress or the the carousing. And... Oh, yeah, yeah. The women. Yeah. yeah. And it's... it's Okay, so this is the spoiler, right? It's It turns out that this mistress has had children. That she was pregnant when Jane was pregnant, when the accident happened, and they'd already had another daughter. And it's... I think you could blow right past it as a reader and not really realize it. But I was really aware from the very beginning that that they were both hiding lots of things from Jane. And so then yeah. this conversation where two men are going to decide for her has this other kind of weight that I was like, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of buttons it pushes. Right. Ainsley's feeling guilt about hiding something that. Yeah. Too, right? Like and Ainsley's anger over the whole book. Yes. Is sort of un Nobody does a reveal like this. Oh, God. Like, yeah. Lorraine Heath, you've never, if this is your first Lorraine, you don't know this, but like, this is her style, right? Like, she lays little breadcrumbs all along the book, and then suddenly something comes to pass or something becomes clear. Yeah. Three quarters of the way through the book that you didn't see. And suddenly it makes sense why everyone has been acting the way that they've been yes. acting, right? Yeah. Interestingly, when I read that, you know, that first, like, the jewels, um, line. I have highlighted it too. This this read. Um, and in my head, I was like, "Wait," because I couldn't remember like mm. how it all yeah played out. Um, and so, uh, but it, I was like, "Wait, were they with more than one woman that night?" Like, I couldn't 
I knew that there was something. Yeah. And then, of course, like within a couple of chapters, I was like, oh, no, no, it's all because I remember now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, right. Um, because now uh, it will come as no surprise. I, I rarely read this book all the way through. I just read like the sure. parts with Ainsley and Jane. Um, so, okay. So that's really the setup. Um, and then, then Walford goes to Jane and says, so, hey, I've brokered this deal for you. (laughs) And Jane is livid. Pissed. Yeah. And she's a really wonderfully written pissed because she's pissed in the way so many women would get pissed. Oh, yeah. And it's almost never written this way in romance novels. Like, usually it's like heroine is feisty and, like, argumentative. In this case, she, like, closes, shuts it down. Shuts down. She's like, we're not going to discuss this. Yeah. We're not discussing this. Like, I, she's tremendously hurt but can't say it. Yeah. And, like, she doesn't want it. And, um... You know, and she thinks of him as being, like, kind of a ne'er-do-well. Like, she obviously resents him and blames him for this carriage accident. He's to blame for what happened to my husband and, and therefore, what happened to us and me. Yeah. What Lorraine uses as the motive, as the impetus for Jane's change of heart is Walf- Walfert and um, yeah Ainsley. Ainsley's friendship. Yeah. So uh, then there are these, like, kind of really wonderful scenes. Like, uh, Ainsley gets invited to a hunt on the Walford estate. Um, and there's a scene where he and, and Walford are fishing and Jane comes along and, like, sort of sees how they right. remain friends and how they are still family, how they still matter to each other. Um, and she starts to really feel like maybe she has been selfish in not taking the offer. Yeah, and there's some really interesting... Oh, it's so conflicted, though, oh, and beautiful. God, I mean, this, and this is the thing, right, where one of the ways that she has... It's clear that both Walford and Jane have done some, like, really interesting things as coping strategies. So they are essentially, mm-hmm. like, friendly. They're really devoted to each other, but their marriage is not loving, and I think one of the things that Jane realized, she's still young, right? I mean, she's, what, 25 when this book happens, I think. And so, um, you know, she they were married for three or four years and didn't get with child. And, and now there's been these three years, essentially, where, you know, they've, they've tried, but nothing happens. And, you know, it's just really interesting the way she talks about, like, I didn't do the things I loved. I didn't walk outside. I didn't, you know, whatever, because right, I, didn't, I, I didn't, didn't, right, I don't want to hurt him. I didn't want him to see what he was missing, so I stopped doing those things, too. Yeah. And, I, again, I don't know how this would read to a disabled reader, but to me it felt like I could see myself doing that, too. Yeah. Well, I think that here's what I what I will say is, and this is not obviously the same situation, but I think about what happened as my dad aged and got quite ill. Yeah. And... My mom was the primary caretaker for him, and she did sort of feel, I think, feel guilty. Yeah. Having, like, doing things that he couldn't do anymore. They would have done together. Yeah. Um, And I think that that's, as much as I think that is a terrible, like, it, it, it must be terribly painful for somebody to be the person who is, for lack of a better term, holding the spouse their spouse back but um 
But I think that for a caretaker, often it's like a really deep act of love. Yeah. Like it's, it is guilt, but guilt often comes from love. Sure. I mean, it's so complicated. Like, and that's what this whole book is. It's this sort of, it's a really, it is a meditation on guilt. It's a meditation on like, on family and on partnership and on love and on types of love and what we expect from certain kinds of love yeah. and whether those expectations are reasonable or whether they're, you know, outrageous. Like, there's so much to unpack. This book is really grown up. Yeah. In like a, That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Maybe if I'd read this book when I was 20, I would have been like, I hate this it. This book is like adulting, one oh, like not even it 101, really right? This book is a 400 is, level right? adulting. Yeah. I mean, and let's just brass tax it. Like, here we are. Mm-hmm. It's 930 in the morning. I finished a book yesterday. Let's just do it. Let's just jump right in. <laughs> Here's my thing. Like this book, like being married, being in friendships, Being a child, being a parent, being a sibling, like all of these things are burdensome. Yeah. Like, and not, and, and not burdensome in ways that make you want to like toss it in and like go live on an island. Although sometimes yes, like, but they're burdens and like we carry as humans, as especially as women, but like as humans, we carry so much Wait. Yeah. And this book is about sharing load. And what's interesting is it's about how and it's Jane bearing so much weight and then her learning to share load with her husband. Yep. With this man she's falling in love with. Yeah. Um, there is a whole secondary plot line where Ainsley's mother is having a relationship like that also is about load, load sharing and like relation, like how you, how you shift burden and how you share it. Um, there is so, and then on top of it, it's about the load, the load that you bear with your friends and your family when you are complicit in something that is tragic. Like, yeah. The Ainsley-Wolfert relationship is so powerful. It really is. I also, can I add one more thing to that, which is, Please. so it's all of that, which speaks to, I think, every reader, like every modern reader. But I also think the thing that really struck me here was that because it's a historical, and even though Jane is an adult and has been married now for, I don't know, six or seven years, the way that things are hidden from women because of the patriarchy. Yes. The expectations that she had, the way that her husband is essentially, like, knows his other family. There are times he's, like, going away to, like, these, you know, hot springs for, you know, she thinks it's just for healing. Or, like, she, and so basically the way it works out with Ainsley is, like, they agree that she's going to go spend a month with him. After her period, she's going to go spend a solid month with him. This is going to be the best way to ensure that, that. She gets pregnant, and she'll be away from her husband. And at the end of the book, you find out that the other family has come and spent time with him when that happens. And she knew none of this because everyone is complicit in the way that these secrets get hidden from women and wives. Mm -hmm. And I've got to tell you, I found all of that to be, like, just so devastating because she's not a stupid woman. Mm -mm. But yet she had no idea. No, and in fact, she starts— Lorraine really, this is a good example of how Lorraine drops breadcrumbs, right? Because she, her 
her immense, I mean, we haven't even gotten to the romance yet. I know. <laughs> I, I mean, my God. But her immense guilt over her feelings for Ainsley yeah. after a month with him yes. are coded into the text alongside um, her guilt be like alongside this awareness her and I'm I'm sort of air quoting awareness that Walford never betrayed her right while he was able to betray her right when in fact first of all ability has nothing to do with it sure the mistress was in the house the whole time yes right but the I mean but then at the same time like I think also it asks this really interesting question which is our mistress is so bad. Oh, yeah. She's not demonized right? at all, and right? suddenly you're like, what the fuck's happening? Like, I know. everything I have thought about, everything that I have thought about cheating and mistresses and, like, the way that relationships like this are codified in romance and written on the page in romance yeah. is blown up by Lorraine Heath in this book. Yes. Like, every piece of it. And, like, yes, of course it's a betrayal. Yes, of course Jane was being, like, a poor Jane. You're right. But then at the same time, like, now Jane has had this experience of falling in love with somebody who's not, who she's not married to, too, right? And so you have this, like, God, it's all so perfectly layered. And I have to assume, like, on the one hand, I think Lorraine is one of the greatest romance, historical romances, romance writers around. Um, So she is one of the few people I would trust with this story. But also, you have to assume, and I don't know anything about the writing of this book, but, like, you have to assume that she was keenly aware of power between, like, of Walford's power in this whole scenario for lots of reasons, right? I think, one, what you're saying about, like, not fridging him is, is... I don't. I think there's no question that that was a, that was on the page as a possibility, sure, right? And she did not want that. No, um, like her uh, her thought in like creating every one of these characters in like a really complex nuance, so that even when Walford dies, you're conflicted about it. Everyone's conflicted about everything in this book all the way through, and that's what makes it so emotional. I mean, I could see why this is a favorite. This is literally what romance should do, right? Like, it's, like, all about feelings. And even though these are uncomfortable feelings, right, this is what I read romance for. This is literally what I read romance for, right? That scene in the carriage. Oh, oh God. I mean, I've read this book 40 times. This morning, I reread that scene, and I cried. Like, I... It... Is so they go, she goes away for a month to Ainsley's like special house. I always love it when they have a PS. I love it when they have a special house house. that no one's ever slept in. I love it when they have a bed no one's ever slept in. Like, I love all that. I love like, I've fucked all everybody who moves in London, but never in this bed. Yeah. (laughs) You know what else I'll say though? I found myself thinking, and I don't, I don't, he might as well be a virgin. Yeah, sure. I was like, how do I insert an eye roll there? Like, what is the sound of my eyes rolling? Here's what I'll also say, though, like, small aside, this is really the first time, and it happened, I think, in Manage 2, where I was like, I'm a teacher, I get a lot of time off in the summer, but I don't have a month off like this. Like, I was like, I want to be rich enough to fucking take a month off and, like... Well, I mean, 
Uh, the aristocracy doesn't have jobs. No kidding. But God, the way this is like, <laughs> we just went away and fucked for a month. And like we ate food and went on picnics. I was like, my yeah. goodness. That must well, be nice. Well, this is the whole. So, I mean, here's where I'm gonna I'm gonna bring hate mail down upon us. But one of the great amusements of the Meghan and Harry dissociation from the royal family and them being like, "We're not taking any money from the royal family anymore," is that everybody seems to forget that they take a massive, massive annual settlement from a duchy. Um, in in England, when that's where all the money from comes sure. from, and has always come from, yeah. like it's it's a tiny, the royal what the what they get from the monarchy is a fractional amount compared to what they get from the statue, um, and tra- that 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 is run and operated by Charles and the heir. It's run and operated by the heir to the throne and has been for hundreds of years. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so like this idea that like. We're going to get a job. It's like, well, you're going to get a job the way Dukes get jobs. Yeah. Like it's some, sometimes he sits at his desk and is like, cares, like, whatever. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't really want to talk about class in this book. I just want to say like, there's something really like with that month when they're <laughs> it's away. It's real nice. Well, but here's the other thing about that month when they're away. It is true idol, right? Oh, yeah. And it's magnificent because what I thought about while I was reading it was this like, it's a, it's a romance novel in itself. Yes. Right. It's a, it interestingly that month is a trip to the pet store. Yes, yeah, it sure is. Um, right, and you spend it's like a little romance novel inside a larger romance novel where they fall in love as two entities who have no burdens, and it has to happen that way. You have to get them. I mean, the brilliance of this book too is she's like, I'm going to set up this little angst fucking ball, right? This angst bomb's going to go out, go off, but I'm going to bury it and I'm going to send these two away. And they are going to be in the pet store, right? And it's going to be beautiful. They're going to be at the pet store. They're going to, like, she's going to learn how to make love, and she is going to love it. Think about pure sex. Deep sex. Hot sex. Rough sex. You know, she's going to realize that Walford never really did right by her in bed. She's going to realize she Mm -hmm. deserves that human contact and connection, right? He is going to just get off on it. And they are... Oh, my God. That scene where she just touches him and he just comes all over her. I love it. And they're going to climb trees and look at fucking (laughs) stars. And then the carriage ride, right? Oh, and they have to come home. They have to come home. And they, they have to come back to reality. They have to... They have to pick up all their baggage. Yeah, they sure do. And like, and it sucks. And they're in that carriage and he, they come like, they basically have this moment where he says like, I would trade it all. I trade it all to love you. Yeah. And he's, he says it without saying the words and he gives her the opening to say like, yeah. I love you, and she doesn't take it because she knows it will break them. Oh, and, God. And, like, she knows she can never give voice to it because if she—and, I mean, like, who among us? Like, this is—like I said, now I'm sort of—I hadn't had this grown-up thought until 20 minutes ago when I said it to you. But, like, <laughs> now I'm like, God, it is so grown-up because there are so many things we don't say. Yeah. Like, right. there's so many things we don't say because we know giving voice to them, like, opens a can of worms that we can never. Yeah, right. Like, we can never deal with. Like, we'll never be able to put it back. And so, 
Um, she returns and he says, the, but the part that always makes me cry in that scene is when he, she says, should I, he says, how long before you'll know? And she's like, soon, I would think, like it's been a month. And, and then she says, should I tell you? And he says, and no. And he says, no. Oh, uh, and Sarah. <laughs> and then you're sort of in this mo- it's sort of the first moment oh god it's so masterfully done it's the first moment i think for the reader i mean or maybe just me because i don't care about kids right but like it's the first moment for me where i realize like oh shit yeah like he's gonna have a child and not be able to know it and his and his mother's not going to be able to know the child and this cousins yeah. and he'll never inherit this title which i didn't give a shit about but like he does because he's a duke or whatever um but like the whole idea too and this is again i have not read the previous books in this trilogy but now i'm gonna have to go back and do it mm. this is also like it's clear from the mother's story right his mother had mm-hmm. had essentially a her second son with a a and had an affair. And so this is the setup, right? Because then you get the mother saying at some point, like, what did you do? You don't know how hard it is to keep this kind of secret. You just don't really even know what you've done. And so then I think like, God, Lorraine Heath is setting this, this up for three books. This, I mean, the, the emotional payoff of, I have done this, and now I'm watching you do it, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't wish. And then, of course, I, oh, God, everything about this book is so, oh, it's so good, Sarah. I know. I told you. I know you told me. <laughs> I know you told me, but, man, I just really. I have great joy that you loved this book as much as I do, because I know that, like, it it asks a lot of readers. Um, but, God, it's so good. I th- yeah, go ahead. I I think the thing I also think a lot about is um the this question of like vows and promises, right? Yeah. And one of the things that gets like gradually revealed as time goes on is that like the vows and promises we make are both spoken and unspoken. Right? So, like, the actual vows you make when you stand up and get married to someone are one thing, but the vows you make to your friends, the like, right, the promises you make to people, you know, they, this becomes, like, the the joy, but also the burden that these, all, these folks are all carrying. And then when it becomes generational, and there's, look, one of my favorite scenes in this book, I haven't even read the previous ones, is, so it turns out that his mother's... Um, the second son, like, right, this lover she had was, like, her best friend's husband or something. And this woman is dying. And she's like, I've kept this secret my entire life. And then on this woman's deathbed, right, Lynn, Lynn Wood, Linwood's wife or whatever, right, she says, I've known all along. Then, like, then this whole thing about, like, the secrets you keep that aren't really secrets, but again, to say it out loud is to just like bring something into being. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Mm -hmm. And it's so, and there are these wonderful, when the, when things start to unravel, right. And in a Lorraine Heath book, one of the things I think she does so well is everything is so perfectly tightly wound until she decides it's time to pull the thread. Yeah, And, 
it's one of those things where as a writer, especially like as somebody who like I need a every one of my books needs an intense revision, right? Mm-hmm. And and in part that's because I'm really bad at winding it tight. Yeah, you um, like you got to tighten it up in revision. Yeah. And and um natu- like naturally winding it tight and I the the sort of precision with which like it hits they get back to um, they get back from their month away. Mm-hmm. She's pregnant. She's pregnant for a few months. Yeah. She sees, there's a heartbreaking moment where she sees him in the gardens of somewhere and she can feel the baby kicking. Yes. And she puts his hand on her stomach. Yes. And he feels the child inside. And then he is like, we cannot do this. Yeah. Like, we, this is a mistake. That's your baby, he not mine. away. And then... Walford dies. Yeah. And his death is the breaking point, right? Like, everything has been perfectly wound and cared for as long as the framing device. Yes. Which, and the, and the framer is alive. Right? Like, yes. So he, this was his idea. In fact, one might argue, and there's this, there's a wonderful moment when they, when after the carriage ride where she comes in and she walks into the room and she bursts into tears, right? She sees him, she bursts into tears, and we've moved the POV switches from her to his head. Mm -hmm. And he thinks to himself, like, it worked. She fell in love with him. Yeah. Right? This is Walford. And you have this moment that where Walford was like, I get, like, this is what I wanted. Presumably, because he had some sort of, like, mystery, like, there was something else in his mind about, like, how he has true love in, like, again, he has this true love with his mistress, and he wants her to have that experience as well in some way. Yeah, that part was really interesting, right? Yeah. I mean, because suddenly you're like, oh, wait a second, like, this has all been machinated right. in some way. I mean, so anyway, so then Walford dies and the thread starts, to, like, and it's mm-hmm. like his death pulls the thread and then suddenly the whole, like, it, everything's spinning out of control. Sure. And everyone starts to figure it out. Yep. Like, somebody threat, somebody basically, like... His heir, right, accuses, is like, yeah, the fuck, there's no like, way he... I don't yeah. think this... I don't think this baby's his. Then um, uh, Ainsley's brothers are like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And then one of them twigs and is like, wait, is it yours? It's his mother. His no, the scene with the oh, brothers. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Though, one of the brothers says, is it yours? And he says, no, it's Jane's. Yeah. Right? Like, he's so... Because as all this is unraveling, the solution, of course, is there. Right. Which is they Ainsley, have... marry her. Sure. Like, live happily ever after. But, like, she's in mourning mm-hmm. because her husband, who she loves, is dead. Right. And the life that she thought she had is not the life she had. Oh, God. And then he is also in mourning because his cousin, who he loves, is dead. Right. And, like, and also the woman who he loves is with child, with his own child, but he can't have them because fucking everything is a mess. I know. I mean, it's a, it's like, frankly, it's a fucking nightmare for all the characters, but also for a writer to be like, how do I keep... All of this balanced so that readers aren't like, I don't understand. Why doesn't he just marry her? Right. Yeah. It's 
so beautifully crafted, you guys. If you are a writer yeah. in any genre, and I know there are a lot of people who listen who don't read historicals or don't right. write historicals. If you are a writer in any genre and thinking about plotting yeah. and how how to plot a book that basically has no external conflict and make sure that the conflict is amped up on every single page. This is the book. This is the book to read. I think that's the part that is really masterful, right? Like, and you and I have talked about a lot, like sometimes you need external conflict to like push internal conflict forward. Mm -hmm. And that does happen here, but minimally. And basically it's gossip. The external conflict is gossip, right? People are going to talk. Remember how when we talked about Priest and you said, and we talked about the ending yeah. and how external conflict kind of like gets, gets, it comes in yeah. sort of at 70% and pushes the rest. And that's, I think, the first time we ever had this conversation. External conflict comes into this book at 70%, right? Like, and then push, the whole book is pushed forward. It works here for me in a way it didn't for Priest. And part of the way, part of the reason that is, is because it feels like a, a whisper as opposed to like a push. Yeah. Like it's still external conflict. It's it's, external conflict is working, but it's still internal conflict that is driving it all still. Yeah. The train is still on. You're watching Ainsley and Jane. Yes. Still. Yes. It's not like the, it's not like it goes to the papers. It's right. It's like the whisper network of like people talking about it. There should be a Bechdel test for romance novels yeah (laughs) that is like something to do with like how the conflict impacts the romance yes because i feel like the the thing about this book is there are actually a lot of scenes in this book where the two of them are not together but every scene where they are not together is about them yes that's exactly right they are still it's like Oh, God. I mean, and that's the thing, too, right? Like, we talk about people being on page together when they are when they are shown apart from each other at the end of this book. It is only to emphasize the complete devastation that they feel, the weight of that guilt and the 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 like the the dawning realization of what they have really put into motion, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just like Jane's like, I guess I just really do want to be a mother and I just want a baby and I lost a baby. And this is my chance to sort of do that. But now they're like, oh, they can see the future they've made. And it's just really well done. I mean, you, oh, I, I like, but also oh. like t- timing oh, yes. is really critical here. Like if yes. that baby had been born before Walford died, it would be a different kind of book. If they had, if like, if they, Walford, if Walford died, right died away. while they were away, like it, and it, there are all these pieces that are just, I mean, like, it's just perfect. Yeah. It's perfectly paced it's perfectly plotted the characters are so nuanced like everything about it is perfect i want to say something about dialogue okay one of the things that i noticed in this book um is that lorraine really sparingly uses dialogue tags yeah um when the hero and heroine are talking to each other um, it's almost like there are whole there are whole sections of dialogue where like you don't there's no he said no she said it's just conversation, and one of my friends Barry Liga who writes YA novels um, 
likes to talk about how when he drafts scenes between two characters, he often drafts with no dialogue tags whatsoever. Interesting. So that he really solidifies the voice of the characters mm. in his head and in readers' heads. So, like, you can read a line of dialogue and know right. which character is saying it. Um, and we've all read books where we have to go like back, like yeah, to right, and be like, back and like figure out like, right. who's saying what. Um, Lorraine writes dialogue so well that you really don't need dialogue tags the mm. way that I mean, like she doesn't use them because she doesn't need them. Yeah, and um, just from a writing perspective, I noticed that today, um, and was really. Just uh, so admirable, like that again. It's a it's a nod toward this sort of like masterful craftsmanship. Yeah, right. I want to talk about um, one of the things I I thought was really fascinating in this book was how even though like the three of them are sort of a unit, even though. Like, as a romance, obviously, it's going to be the two of them moving forward. They have created these patterns that are sort of, like, unhealthy. And and there's a couple ways in which that's communicated via letter. Or not unhealthy. Like, just, like, codependent, maybe. So there's Mm. a part after she's pregnant where he said, don't tell me. But he gets a letter that just says, thank you. And he doesn't know which one of them it's from. Right? Is it from her Mm -hmm. or is it from him? Well, we know it's from her. Do we, though, at the beginning? She says, she sent him a letter. Later. No, no. In the text, she says she did tell him, but she sent him two words. We don't don't know what the two words were. No, no, no. He gets the letter first. It just says, thank you. He doesn't know who it's from. And then later, she reveals that she wrote it. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Now, and then, here's the other part, though. I was thinking about the second letter he gets is the one where she sends it, and she's like, I'm sorry to report that he's dying. He says, bring me my jewels. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was thinking a lot about this moment where Walford cannot tell her. Like, I I think about that a lot. Imagine asking your wife without her knowing to bring your fucking mistress and your kids to your, to your deathbed. Like, imagine that. And she doesn't know. She doesn't know what she's She doing. doesn't know what she's asking for. And she's like, what the fuck are these jewels that he wants? And... And then, but the betrayal. Oh, God, right? yes. Because Ainsley knows. Ainsley knows. And so he's... Imagine being her. No, like, Sarah. Imagine being like, hey, man I love, other man I love, has asked for this thing that he apparently loves that I don't know about. Yeah. What could it possibly be? And he's like, oh, it's his other... Family. Family. <laughs> like... What? And I think Lorraine Heath, what I, are you doing? I know. And I want to talk about that because I want to talk about what, like when I want to talk about how in all of the shit that goes down in this book, that was the moment for me that was like breath, breathtaking, like literally yeah. breathtaking. Cause I thought Walford doesn't know how to tell her without Ainsley there. And it's because he can't tell Ainsley without revealing that, like, that night he grabbed the reins. Yeah. Right? And so it's, like, one of the things that is – and so I thought a lot about those notes, right? The Because it's, like, speaking out into the void the things we're not supposed to speak, but it's done yep. in code both times. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. Thank you. I know you said you didn't want it, but I'm going to thank you. And he's not sure who said it. And now I'm going to call for my wife and fucking miss my, you know, I'm going to tell my, I mean, I don't, I just want to say it's just, it's not, it really is, but it's also <laughs> just this, no, it's they, and that's it too. Like the three of them have to be in a room together when this reveal happens. Yes. Because they're family. This is the thing about this is like it's so fucked. Oh, this yeah. whole thing is so fucked. Yeah. And like it's so angstrit. It's like the greatest soap opera yes, ever. Yeah. But like also so authentic and like weirdly understandable. Yeah. In like a sure. in like a sort of if this happened in your family, you would kind of understand it in like a crazy, but of course you wouldn't, yeah, but, no. but like it all makes perfect sense. But that's the thing I really want to like it's hammer so home good. is like when we talk about, when we talk about the emotional work that romance does, like the ways in, I don't know, I just, this book is doing amazing work. And I think the thing I also want to say is like the way in which like, it works because Ainsley and Walford are family too. Mm-hmm. And it, and I think that that's it. I just, I don't even know how to like say what I'm trying to say here, but I think that mm-hmm. it's really terrifically hard to write a story like this where, okay, Walford had a whole other family and she didn't know about it. Well, and without making him a cartoon. Without making him a villain, without making him a cartoon. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things, so... Uh, we got a we Jen and I got a message the, the other day from somebody, one of you, um, about cheating romances. Yeah. And like, could we recommend romances where the hero? I assume the hero, like moving cheats. forward, right? It's like a yeah. moving forward story. Yeah. And um, and while and and that person had already read Day of the Duchess, which right. the, the hero cheats, um, or has one instance of cheating. Um, and in this case, what's interesting is that obviously I don't think this suits. I don't think this is this is a, an appropriate answer to mm-hmm. that question. That that request, I think that request was very specific. Um, but Walfurt's entire character arc could easily have been villainous, like you said. And instead, you it ends with you sort of really feeling for this character who has sort of committed committed the worst sin in romance. Yeah. I mean, we talk about this, right? Like, cheating is absolutely the worst sin in romance. Sure. And we're more, I mean, thinking about old school, right? We're more likely to, we're more likely to forgive sexual assault on the part of the hero than we are a, a cheating, cheating, yeah, cheating, right. which is weird and interesting. Yeah, but like, right. there's a. It's really fascinating here how Lorraine tackles infidelity in multiple ways, and nobody is wrong. Right, that's right. That's exactly right. Because human beings are complicated, like, yeah, fucking nuanced. Yeah, like it just this is re- these are real people. Right, I think that's exactly it. This feels really real and i honestly feel like the only other time i've ever seen a story like this tackled is in litfic in a book i really recommend called silver sparrow by tayari jones and this is instead mm-hmm. about being a, adults it's actually about a teenage girl who realizes her father has another family mm-hmm. and it is devastating right because mm-hmm. in and and i just think that that's the thing like this is it's so 
I think part of the reason romance can't do it is because, and and rightfully so, it's so emotionally tumultuous that there's no way for that wave not to sort of capsize whatever romance boat you're trying to float on it. One, yeah, storytelling-wise. I mean, two, trust is real. Trust is the the whole bedrock of romance. Yeah, right. And so that's it. It's just really hard to do. You know, when you write a cheater, there better be a good reason. Yeah, or it has to be so far in the past that the that wave has been traveling a thousand miles to shore. It can't capsize yeah. anything I mean, anymore, sometimes right? You meet people who's like meet people who have married late in life, somebody who they were married to. You know, you every once in a while you meet a family and like their parents were are married for the second time to each other. You know, like and like so it's sort of I mean like look it happens also, I'm sorry, but like cheating happens in the world, everyone. Of course. So like of course it's real and it happens. Sure. I, so Yeah, I think uh, the question yeah. Well blah 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 blah. I think the there's a lot of reasons <laughs> it can't happen in romance though, right? Like I said, and most of that's about that are the loss and devastation and the feeling of like betrayal mm-hmm. then just like would bring any romance plot to a halt. Well, yeah. Where do you go from here? And here, I think, oh, it's so good, Sarah. Well, here, Mm. it's really, it's weird because in neither case is it framed as cheating, right? In both cases, interestingly, in the world, when you talk about second families, it's not really framed as cheating. Sure. Like, it's sort of like, my husband had a second family. Like, because, I mean, when somebody, when, like, the relationship is longstanding when the relationship is, like, sure. in passion, when the relationship has produced f- children and, like, a family that has also takes time. Right. Right? Then it's, like, some, it's so much bigger than a, betra- a single betrayal. And I think that's why it's so magnificent when it's the revelation of this family is such a massive betrayal. Yeah. But she's bearing it, again, this big burden while she's bearing the sorrow of losing him yeah i mean yeah but then on top of all of it like all that heavy fucking stuff and it's still so romantic yeah the scene at the fair the scene where they're like they're watching the stars the scene like there's so many wonderful romantic moments in this book yeah the scene where they're in the gardens and she's pregnant like i mean oh yeah it's so achingly romantic yeah and real hot oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah well and that's a part where you're just like i mean it really i think the layers and layers of like what romance does here you know romance is obviously for me i'm like i just want people falling in love on page and this book delivers but romantic is a different thing right and romantic to me is i almost always define it as like people who are finding each other and making each other better mm-hmm Showing them the world in a new way, seeing something they never saw before, both in themselves and in others and the world itself, right? And that's why this book works, because that's what Ainsley and Jane both do, like, for each other. Yeah, this book's fucking amazing, Sarah. It's really tremendously good. Yeah. And she just, I mean, like, when we talk about the work of romance being, like, to tell the work of, like, human emotion period yeah god she just nails it there's so much love in this book yeah there really is so much love in every single way 
I think one of the reasons to like, yes, like, and I think that includes really like being true to yourself. And I think that's why, like, when Walford's mistress and those kids arrive, Jane's like, it's like the dignity with which she like faces that really is like, who am I right now? Am I a person who's going to be like real shitty to these people who, yeah, who clearly are also grieving. Like, and that's the part I think that it's so much about this book is like the way that people love each other is tremendously complicated. Yeah. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Also, I love a hero who buys flowers from children. Oh God. Yes, you do. Of course you do. (laughs) (laughs) I love a hero who, like, pays double for an afghan. Sure. <laughs> and then, like, gives it to the, you know, And then the gives servants. it to the servants. I just fucking love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Like, this is this is the kind of duke I want right. in my life. Yeah. Well, and that's it. I love a duke who, like, catches a fish and then, like, makes a fool of himself. Go. And, yeah. Like, I just, like, he's really a wonderful hero yeah and he has to be right like as i was reading it i was like there's so many ways that i would fuck up this hero like that i would i would write him too cold or too impenetrable or too like he's so warm and open and loving and like he is he's a great hero he's a great hero and when they get there happily ever after it is earned yeah i agree Sarah, I have to drive to St. Louis. What are we reading next? What do you want to read? I can read anything. <laughs> <laughs> I can read anything. Tessa Bailey. Oh, I love Tessa Bailey. Tessa Bailey, the queen of dirty talk. The queen. From the very beginning. There's it's your a- blurb, Tessa Bailey. Put it on everything. Put it on a t-shirt. It's a gift. I swear to God. True. Okay, we're gonna talk your book. We're actually gonna kind of do what we did with me. Are we doing my book or your book? Oh, we're doing both books. We're gonna kind of do both. We're gonna really heavily lean on your book, which is called Asking for Trouble. Asking for Trouble. But we are. Everybody knows that I love an enemies to lovers romance, like Love One. Yeah. This is a solid contemporary one. Yeah. And we're also going to go ahead and talk about the first book in that series which is called protecting what's his which is uh, her debut i think and what? one of is my favorites really? jesus christ why is she so i good? know i know um, yeah uh asking for trouble is uh his best friend is married to her best friend and they hate each other but it's, also want to bone of course what could be better all right, Sarah. So that's what we're up to next time. If you can only read one, read Asking for Trouble. And, but they're pretty short. They're basically category romances from Entangled. And we're excited about it. I'm super excited. Okay. Uh, this is Faded Mates, everybody. Our producer is Eric Bortenson, who's like, stop clipping. I know. He's yelling at us about our microphones all the time. Uh, you can buy pins from uh, Jen's store and Jen's friend Kelly uh, on Jen's store online. Uh, You can buy shirts and other gear from uh, Jordan Denae and my store online. We'll put links in show notes. Uh, We will see you next week with an interstitial and in two weeks with Tessa Bailey. Woohoo! Read safe, everyone. (laughs) Nah, don't, don't read safe. Read dangerous. 
Hi, Sarah and Jen. This is Shoshana in New York. Uh, and when you asked about books that blooded us, I immediately, I immediately thought, what is that old school one where he throws her out and she literally gets thrown into Newgate Prison? Uh, my sister actually remembered for me, it is Heartless by Kat Martin. Um, this book and its immediate sequel actually support my theory that the 90s didn't end until about 2003. It has a classic alpha hero. Um, he does not rape her, but he does, in fact, have to think twice about it. Um, he does not feel his feelings, but they do manifest physically in very dramatic ways. At one point, he squeezes their wedding ring until he literally bleeds. Um, every woman he has ever encountered has been greedy and slutty and disloyal. Um, it's fantastic. It hits every emotional beat, um, and it's imprinted on me for sure. The heroine is brought to her absolute wretchedest, and as a teenager, that used to give me just the best gut-clenching feeling, which somehow ties into all that sexy, itty stuff with the hot hero and the bare towing of the line on consent, the killer grovel, which Cat Martin actually has go on for about 150 pages post the Newgate scene. Who knew? Um, I don't know why that all works together so well, but it's fantastic. Um, and it also made me think about how we talk about old school romances, um, communicating consent, how rape and dubcon scenes were a way of getting past social norms around female virtue, how it could set up a grovel and a reformation. But I was also thinking that we do these scenes a disservice if we don't also talk about it essentially being a rape fantasy, um, even if the rape doesn't happen as in Heartless. Um, on one layer, I think these scenes are awfully like what like Lila Pace has done in her asking it asking for it series, which also blooded me, by the way, unrelated. Um, it doesn't have the framing of consent that we've grown to expect at this point, but there are the seeds of that same fantasy about being dominated, about fighting it, and enjoying being forced to surrender. Um, it is not for everybody, but it sure worked for me back then, um, especially at a time when most of us still didn't have the words or the lack of shame to talk about those kinds of desires. Um, so that's a book that blooded me. Thanks so much for your show. I can't wait to hear where you guys go next. Uh, my Instagram handle is at Shoshana, S-G-S-H-O-S-H-A-N-A-S-G.